Welcome to River Life Podcasts. We're a church family embracing the Father's presence, releasing empowered people to declare and demonstrate Christ's kingdom. We trust that God would use what you hear today to bless and grow you so that you would be a blessing to those around you. For more information about River Life Baptist Church, go to riverlifechurch.org.au or find us on social media. Great for you to be joining with us again this morning. You know, we, these songs we've been singing talk about leaning our, our, our heart in, our soul in, in calling out for God and, and requiring things of Him. In John chapter 6, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. I think if he was part of another culture, Jesus would have said maybe, I am the rice of life. I think if he's, what he's getting at is, hey, I'm your staple. I'm your everyday requirement to make sure that you have sustenance, that you are living in such a way that I am here. And the church exists uh, as people who come around a table in order that we might eat of the bread of life. The twofold purpose of the church really is to be able to feed people this bread of life, to feed people and understand Jesus. Those who have already decided to follow after Jesus, there are people who have made a decision. And so part of the role of the church is to build believers. It's there to be able to take those who have made a decision to follow after Jesus and to then continue to disciple them. Yeah, disciple those who have become followers of Jesus. The other side of it is that we might introduce people to the bread of life, that the church exists in order to let Jesus be known. Yeah, and throughout the world, those who are yet to meet Jesus would come to an understanding of who he is and discover for themselves that he indeed is the bread of life. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. He indeed is delicious and we go through these roles. And they're, they're really gathered around the table of the church are uh, these three different types of people. Those who have decided to follow after Jesus, they've come to the foot of the cross. They've recognized what Jesus has done for them. They've called out on his name to be their savior, to be their Lord. And they've laid down the rights to their own life to say, I'm going to live for you. And right now, everyone who's hearing my voice, there'd be a, a, a great number of you who are, who are sitting at the table and have come to eat the bread of life because you've discovered that Jesus is your savior and indeed he is your Lord. There will be a second type of people who are hearing my voice right now, and those people will be people who are interested in tasting the bread, but have yet to actually have a taste. They've come to see at the table what this is all about. These are people who might be here this morning with us. They might be listening to us right now, watching us and, and, and trying to discern. You guys keep talking about this guy. You guys keep talking about this bread of life, this understanding that Jesus is someone who can literally change my life. And part of the reason the church exists is that at the family table, there's room for people who are wanting to know a little bit more. 
But of course, then there's a third chair that often is remained empty until someone comes and wants to be interested. And this is representative of the community at large. It's representative of people that should be invited to come to the table. Come to the family table where we gather around to know the bread of life. And, and it's really then we become bread distributors. It's when we're, we go out and we're thinking, reaching out beyond what we're gathered around on a Sunday and taking what has sustained us, taking what we know to be true in our own lives and taking that out to the world. And so we start a, a three Short week series, three, short three week series, that's better, of, uh, of gathering around the family table to take a look at these three different chairs, to understand a little bit more about why does the church exist in this way and, and what does it mean to us to be at the family table? You know, when you are traveling alone, can you remember those days where you would be maybe out on a trip and you have to eat a meal by yourself. Anyone feel awkwardly uncomfortable about doing that? Some of you may got used to it, but I never got used to that. That was, that was a terrible thing, you know, just nipping down to get something to eat. Or, or, or you know, eating in a food court. You go and eat at a food court. And when you sit down and you, you take your meal at a food court and you, you order whatever it is that you desire and you come and you sit uh, uh, amongst other people, sometimes if it's really busy, you have to actually sit at the table with other total strangers that you do not know. Conversation is not a normal thing at that point in time. People just chow down on whatever they've got going on. It's vastly different to sharing your family table at home, isn't it? And the family table at home is a place where there's conversation, where there's, there's the depth of conversation goes into things that are really meaningful to you, that you're, you're engaged with, that you love. And, and it's all because the relationship level is so much deeper. It, there's laughter, there's joy, there's fun, there's seriousness. There might even be arguments. There's things that go on at the family table that are a whole lot more in depth of understanding than it is sitting and eating a meal with random strangers in a food court. And one of the most important ingredients we can share as a church, if we're wanting to reach our potential in building up believers, is serving those who don't yet know Jesus, we need to understand how to have strong relationships here. If we're going to effectively serve our community, if we're going to effectively be inviting people to come and take a seat, then you know what? If they're interested or not, it's up to us, the ones who have already made a decision to follow Jesus, to set an atmosphere at this table that says, everybody's welcome. Everybody's welcome. You see, when, when we come as these people, when we come as the ones who already know what it tastes to come and be a, a partakers of the bread of life, when we come, it's up to us to make sure that we're not here for ourselves, but we're here to share the bread with everyone else. We're on the lookout. We want to build a connected community. And that happens in relationship. And that's what I want to talk to you about this morning. I love the way Jesus put it. He always puts things so much better than any of us, hey? 
in John chapter 17, and uh, man, uh, we'll, we'll do a series one day from John 15 through to John 17 and take a whole lot of time to do it. I just, some of my most favorite passages in all of scripture. And here, Jesus is praying for his disciples and he's praying for us. He's praying for those people who have tasted of the bread of life. And here he is praying this prayer for us. And it says in John chapter 17, and we'll pick it up at the start of verse 20. Now I'm going to read it from my paper here because I chose a slightly different translation to the NIV and I went for New Living. Listen to what it says here. It'll be up on the screens. It says, I'm praying not only for these disciples but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray they will all be one just as you and I are one. Now, don't let that just slip by. Who's praying this prayer? Jesus. I couldn't hear you on your couch at home. Jesus. That's it. Okay. Jesus is praying it. Who's he talking to? The Father in heaven. He's praying for you. He's praying for me. He's praying right now that you and I would be one just as the Father and the Son are one. Wow. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us so that the world would believe you sent me. So the world, the people who are yet to be invited to the table would know that the Father and Son are one. And it's their Father who sent the Son. For I have given them the glory you gave me so they may be one as we are one. I am in them and you are in me. May they experience such perfect unity that the world would know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. When people come to the family table, they're supposed to feel, and these people are the drivers because Jesus prayed for us and he's ongoing in his prayers for us, that we would be united as one. These people that are interested, these people who are being invited from the community would all of a sudden go, wow, what have you got going on here? There's an incredible sense of unity. There's a love being displayed that I've never felt, experienced, or heard of in such depth as what I'm experiencing here. That is a challenge. You see, community was Jesus' plan to change the world. When Jesus left the earth, he didn't leave behind financial resources. He didn't leave behind, you know, a, a big infrastructure. There was no budget. There was no building. There was no clout. There were no connections. Any of those things that we think are crucial for an organization or for a movement to succeed, he left behind this small group of followers, this small band of believers, Jesus followers, and he empowered them by his Holy Spirit. So 
so that they might be one. And their oneness might, in fact, create such a storm in the community that people would know about Jesus because of the lives of followers. That was it. 12 quite ordinary people. And then a circle of their friends who were empowered with authority of the power of heaven on earth through the Holy Spirit. And 2,000 years later, you and I sit here gathered together because of them and what Jesus did. At the beginning of his ministry, Jesus' first step was to create community. And throughout his whole ministry, he modeled and he taught on the nature of this kind of community. And on the last night of his life, he prayed, as we've just read, for this type of community. And he said that the credibility of those whose whole ministry and their mission rested on this sense of oneness, this sense of unity, this sense of purpose, love, and togetherness founded on Jesus. And before he ascended, his final words to his friends were, make this family, make this community bigger, grow it, go everywhere and tell everyone that I'm the bread of life. And in this message, I want to kind of look at a, a corollary, if you like, that is, I don't think you cannot abide in Jesus without being a part of his community. There is no self-study discipleship plan. And I want to try to convince you of that this morning. Part of our vision statement, well, our vision statement is the family embracing the Father's presence, releasing and empowered people. <laughs> That's these people who believe, who follow after Jesus, to declare and demonstrate Christ's kingdom. This is the family table, and we sit around it as family, embracing the Father's presence, seeking to declare and demonstrate what he's all about to other people. And we'll release you to go do so. I'll talk about that in future messages. Here's some good news about the pandemic. This is a silver lining, if you like, on the cloud of COVID-19. The latest McCrindle research in Australia shows that four in five Australians, that's a high percentage, agree COVID has clarified the relationships in which they want to invest their time. 79%. They believe that it positively has strengthened their family household relationships, 79%. 53% of Australians value a strong local community more than they did three years ago. 53% more than three years ago value strong relationships in a community. Are, are you picking it up? Anyone else a little excited about that statistic or is it just this nerdy here? Come on. People are looking for community. Jesus said, I'm going to give you the best community that you've ever known. 
I'm still praying that that's the case. So is Jesus, we're in luck. (laughs) And he says, now we're getting statisticians telling us that people want community. (gasps) Wow, we got a job, we got a job to do. Community and relationships are being desired and held as important right across our community. And Jesus knew that there would be certain dynamics of life in his kingdom, of spiritual growth that only happen when people come together in community, forming circles of intimacy, circles of commitment and mission together. And I want to walk through a few of these dynamics. Dynamic one, the uniqueness of his presence. Jesus is uniquely present in his community amongst his family when we're gathered around his table. Now, he's always present. He's every place. He's in every moment. But he's present in his community in a special way. That's why Jesus said, for where there are two or three that are gathered in my name, there I am with them. Jesus' theology was okay. So when you want to say, why do you go on about this idea of presence? Well, Jesus draws a distinction between the fact that he is omniscient, all-knowing, that he is omnipresent, all-present, that he is all-powerful, omnipotent, and he says, I am all of those things. That is the nature of God. Of course, he's everywhere, but he says, when you come together, when you gather around the family table, there's something, it's not like the, the food court anymore. There's something unique that I will come and be present amongst you as you eat around this table that is different. There's a uniqueness of his presence. I've used this example before in trying to understand that there's something special that happens when we gather together. But it's like having a a, a fire. There's a fire that exists when we come together. We feed off one another. We fuel off each other. When you see someone you know, connecting with the Lord, when you see someone needing to be ministered to in the Lord, when, when we are answering, asking questions and having them answered, when we're struggling, wrestling, when we're coming it together through everything of life, there, there comes a, a way in which we have this fire of God within us. And if you've noticed a fire, when you take a coal out of the fire and put it off to the edge, it very quickly becomes cool. Put it back in and it'll glow red hot again. But pull it off to the side and it'll start changing color and it'll start to dim in its brightness and in fact, it'll start to start to cool right off. And I feel like COVID has has disrupted God's fire amongst his people, and some people have been feeling isolated like coals on the edge of a fire. There's an opportunity we have to come in, to come back into the fireplace, to come back into what God has called us to do together. I reread this quote from Dallas Willard this week, and it struck me again to the power of being community. He said, personalities united can contain more of God 
and sustain the force of his presence than scattered individuals. Just think about that for a moment. Personalities united, people in community with one another, contain more of God and sustain the force of his presence much better than scattered individuals. Jesus prayed for it. (laughs) It's not an individual eye in them, although we know by the power of what Jesus did, Holy Spirit lives within the individual. But when we're gathered here around the table, there's something special when people are invited and are looking and interested in following Jesus, we'll notice something different because of how you and I, amongst the uniqueness of his presence, hang out together, love one another, are unified around the bread together. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, and let us consider how we might spur one another on to love and good deeds. Not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. All the more. Don't give up gathering. All the more. All the more. If you've got in the habit of turning up once every four weeks, I feel like the Lord's saying to you today, all the more. Gather together, all the more. See if you can bump that average up. Let's see if we can do that together. All the more. The reality is that when the coals get together, there is a fire, and Jesus is present in his community. Now, I've experienced that, and you've experienced that too, right? We've experienced moments when he gives comfort and guidance or healing and hope. He gives strength in and through the family gathering together. He speaks to you and me and through me to you. You know, all, all I am at this family table is one of the chefs that hopes to serve up the bread. We come together to do this. And it's not just about the preaching of his word. It's about gathering in worship. It's about coming together in in ways that would spur one another on, sharpen each other. Proverbs, it says, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. And there's a reason that when people move away from God, one of the first things they do is isolate themselves from spiritual community. Because you can't be in a healthy community and not catch the heat. So if you're not catching the heat, we're either not a healthy community, we've got work to do, or we're somehow isolating ourselves from the fire. And, And the second dynamic that can happen is really quite humbling, and that is this. Community is there to prevent spiritual drift. When you're at the table with people you know, it's much harder to excuse yourself. You're eating in the courtyard, you know, up in Indrapilly, and you're eating your KFC or whatever. Not, not that I would. <laughs> and, you know, everyone's eating what they wanted to eat. And you, you don't wait so they might finish. 
You finished now? Excuse me, I might leave the table. Thank you. Is that okay? But when you're sitting down at the table with family, the expectation is you wait as a family till the last person finished eating. And then you ask to be excused, you know? Well, that's, the up, that's the upbringing I got. Okay, kids, if you're in here, you're listening to me right now. If Jesus is the bread of life and we aren't eating of him, you're going to find yourself in spiritual drift. This is not just that we know we should be. Bread makes little difference to your life if you know you need to eat it. It's only when you take of it that you say it's sustained. I belong to a, a small prayer group. We've been meeting together for I don't know how many years, probably 20-something years. And the group has changed over time. There's three of us in it at the moment. And, you know, if, if I was to say, guys, um, I'm really feeling like I need to... Uh, just, you know, get closer with the Lord. I need to spend some more uninterrupted time with him, just hearing his voice. And I just feel like life's just packed out. If it's not doing stuff for the kids, not doing stuff for family and at home, it's long hours at work, trying to do things, fit other stuff in. I just don't feel like I've got time to hear from the Lord. I think it'd be good if I, I put something in place to make that change. They will go, that sounds like a great idea. And so if we came the next following week and we sat down for our breakfast time together, one of them will probably go, hey, how are you going with making more time for the Lord? And I think this actually has been the case. I would say something like, yeah, that's a great idea. I, I need to make more time for the Lord. You do. That would be great. You should do something about that. And we'd come back the next week and someone would say, how'd you go in making more time for the Lord? And I know that they're just not going to let up on that, right? I've either got to find new friends or I've got to do something about what I said I needed to do something about. Without community, we can just drift. And the reality is that no matter how bright or strong or intelligent that any of us think we are, none of us are above our need for community. Yet it gets a little tricky, doesn't it, when we feel hurt or wounded or tired or we don't know how to cope or we withdraw or we put up barriers or we run away. You see, we're all prone to spiritual drift. And in community, we're spurred on to these love and good deeds. We're held accountable. The community teaches us what we value most. And here's a part of why I stress this. This runs countercultural to one of the biggest myths in our day, and the myth that it's possible for a human being to do, to do spirituality in the absence of community. Jesus called people into community and he said, come on, let's do this together. We're going to do it to learn together. We're going to learn to pray together. We're going to grow together. We're going to comfort each other. We're going to serve together. We're going to be on mission together. When Jesus said, come follow me, it was never about a self-study discipleship plan. It was always meant to be amongst 
community that stops us from spiritually drifting. Okay, here's, here's the third thing that's really hard. And that is that this Jesus-centered community, this family table should be a place in which we can be real with one another, where we can take our masks off. Um, not always the ones we wear at the moment, but you know. The figurative ones. See, when you're at the family dinner table, that's where we're most relaxed. That's where, that's where the family sees both the best of you and the worst of you, have you noticed? Families like that, because they've got to love you, right? They're your family. We let our guard down, they see us in all our beauty and all our ugliness. But that's the family table, that's how it's supposed to be and that's what we pursue, that's what we walk towards, a reality where we can be real with one another. To be open, to discuss things, to ask others' opinions, it's when you feel safe and able to share how things really are. Some of you know that in Genesis, when God created Adam and Eve, they walked in the garden and they were naked. It's not a fashion statement. There was, there was no need to cover up. They were fully exposed. They felt no shame about being fully exposed because they were in a safe environment created by the Creator for them to come and be fully known and fully accepted, fully known and fully loved. Can you imagine such a thing? Even, I bet, in the best of marital relationships where you might be fully exposed, you're not actually. There's a small part of your heart that even your spouse doesn't quite know about. You struggle to share, you struggle to be able to let someone in because what on earth if I let somebody in that they might see that as shameful, as ugly, as something I need to hide? And it's only Jesus, it's only the Father that fully sees us, fully knows us, and yet fully loves us. But that doesn't stop us working towards being a family table, a place to be real. And, and sometimes people come to church every week and we sit in the same pew and we, we our chair and we, and we smile the same faces and we talk about our jobs and we talk about the sport and we talk about the weather and, and something superficial week on, week off, and no one ever you know, knows what's going on. Maybe we're dying on the inside. Maybe no one knows what we might be afraid of. Nobody knows what we dream of. Nobody knows what we're trapped or addicted in. But that's not Jesus' plan. That's not what he's praying for. I pray they'd be one as you and I are one. Fully known, fully loved, fully accepted. And then occasionally someone's marriage crashes or someone has an affair or a child runs away or, or someone stops coming and people say, wow, I wonder what happened to them. And I understand about hiding. One of those, one of the areas where I, I'll need God's help until the day I die is a tendency for me to look better, look stronger, look smarter than I really am. I need community. 
I need that smaller trusted group of people where I can feel safe enough to be real to take my mask off. That's a super hard and vulnerable thing to do. I know, trust me, I know. One of my biggest fears is failure. So I will wear a mask that says I've got everything under control until it's obvious to everyone that you don't. How about you? What's your mask? What do you wear? Find some people, talk about it. The book of James says, confess your sins to each other. It brings healing, it brings hope. That's community, that's the family table. We can only be loved to the extent that we are known and we can only be fully loved if we're fully known. As long as there's stuff that you don't know about, let other people know about you, you just cannot experience a love to that depth, to that new level. And it's not for everyone. You don't have to confess your sins to the world. Find that, build that community. In the book of Acts, it says that people would gather together with sincere hearts. Do you know what that word, that word sincere contains the idea that when they met together, the mask came off. They were sincere, they were authentic, they were genuine in their community. Man, there's people walking around all around the world who are hiding behind all sorts of masks. There's people, all of us, who are doing it constantly, I guess. Jesus wants a community where we would take those off because that's gonna be super attractive to people to know they're safe in an environment to come and taste of God and know him when we're doing the right thing by one another. I'm gonna fly through these last point and that is this. The fourth dynamic and the last one, it only happens in community and it only happens, I believe, around the family table. It's the place where we have an opportunity to love the way that Jesus loved. Jesus, when he was with his small group on this last night, he gives one command over and over and over again. Starts in John 15, my commandment is this, that you love each other as I have loved you. A little later in John 15, 17, he says, this is my command, love each other. You can go way back to John 13, and he says, by this everyone know that you are my disciples if you love one another. <laughs> the whole credibility of Jesus' mission rests on this, not whether we are smart, not whether we build something big or impressive, but that we love one another. One of the striking things to me is that even after three years together, Jesus feels the need to remind his disciples on the night before his, on the night of his betrayal, to love one another, love one another. Why? He knows we're gonna forget. Why? Because we love to put ourselves first. And when we put ourselves first, we stop loving one another because we look for someone to love us. 
(laughs) The secret of love around the family table is that when you come to the table, when you come to church and there's people who have been invited that don't yet know of the bread of life, is that you aren't here for you if you're a mature follower and believer of Jesus. You're here for these people to come to him. And you're here for him. You're not here for you. You'll be fed. You'll be fed in lots of ways. You'll be fed in all sorts of ways because you have a daily, intimate relationship with God the Father. But when we come together around this family table, our job is to make sure everybody feels like they're family. Everybody feels like they're loved. Henry Nguyen says that community is the place where the person I least want to be there is always there. <laughs> One of the striking things about Jesus is he, he didn't work hard to make sure he put together a small group of people who were naturally compatible. What made his community explode was the relentless, spirit-empowered determination on which with the church to lavish love on anybody who could possibly stand it. And then it just exploded, starting with this small group of 12 and then the, you know, 50, then the hundreds and then thousands. God has called us to gather around this table to feed on the bread of life. What if everybody who walks through these doors was made to feel like it was their family table, a place where they could belong, place where they'd feel significant, a place where they could have their needs met? What if instead of coming on our own needs to be met, we looked out for the needs of others and in doing so, a miracle happened? We found in loving on others, in caring for one another, our needs got met in the process. You know, a recent survey that we did as a church says not everyone feels like that here at River Life. 72% of survey respondents felt able to participate, but that means that 28% didn't. 61% felt connected, but that means 41 didn't. 49% felt loved, but 51% are not experiencing the love that the followers of Christ are to be known for. We got some work to do. 65% of respondents said they felt invisible. That's terrible. I'm the one standing up the front. It can't all be my problem. I'll shoulder some of it. But I am not the community of River Life. We're the community of River Life. It's our table, we sit around. It's our job, it's our responsibility. And as we try to navigate the complexity of culture of authentic community, we must remember it's something developed over time from an intentional investment. It's a process, it's a team effort. Maybe you haven't really been connected relationally. Maybe there's some spiritual drift going on. 
maybe you're brand new to River Life and you're yet to make a connection. Why not take the risk today? Why not instead of shooting through the foyer or grabbing the kids and then leaving quickly, why not stop and find someone to talk to? If you're sitting in that chair, <laughs> I love it. I told them when to take it. It's totally my fault. This is when you go off script, right? That chair, the believer chair. You know, if you're a mature follower of Jesus and you've tasted the bread of life and today you've just been blessed by coming amongst community, have a look for someone else that you don't know. It's so easy for us to look out for people we know. Your life group members, maybe. There's others, family members. Invite them into cafe. Have a cup of coffee with one another. Go out to lunch together. I don't know. Try something a little bit different. Maybe like you've just heard in the announcement right at the beginning of church today, next week we're going to be talking about what it looks like to run a life group, what it looks like to be the leader of one of those. But come and, and hear what that means. What, 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 what is it required to lead a group where people could maybe come together in smaller numbers and take their masks off? Be real with one another. Maybe you could take the risk and sign up to be a part of a group. See, everyone needs to play their part to ensure that everyone has a seat at the family table. We're going to have a look at those other seats over the coming weeks and talk about what that means and different points for all of us. There's one thing that I know that we need to change as a culture, and that's how loving we are, how connected we are to one another in unity with Jesus at the centre. And that as we do that, we're hoping those people who are searching for Jesus, they want to know a little bit more, and that might be you here right now today, would actually know we're authentic and genuine about loving on you, about letting you know what it is to come and taste of the bread of life. And everyone would have that opportunity to taste and see that the Lord is good. So that's going to take us all to do something, but... What a great season to do it, yeah. What is it, seven weeks till Christmas? Eight weeks, I don't know. Ask a kid, they know. <laughs> Plenty of time to invite people, to love on people, to reach out to people. Christmas, a lot of people are hurting. We can be this real family together. But it's gonna take every single one of us to do that. Why don't you stand? I'd love to pray with you. Yeah, Father God, thank you that you have this wonderful idea of bringing people together. Jesus, we thank you that you modelled it, you prayed about it, you prayed for us in regards to it. You're calling people to be part of a community, a community where we love one another, we're safe to be ourselves. We can feel great to be able to, to know what it's like. Lord, I, there'll be people who go to all sorts of different churches because they prefer the teaching or the worship, the kids' men or all those sorts of things. Oh God, we just don't want to be a church where 
they didn't experience you and they didn't experience your love through others. We want to nail those things. A place where your presence is hosted and in a community together where we do that through the love that we have for one another and for you, empowered by your Holy Spirit. So help us to change, help us to grow, help us to continue to be that loving environment, loving and caring place for one another. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this River Life podcast. Make sure you subscribe to keep up to date with all the latest content. If this podcast has raised any questions for you, contact us via church at riverlifechurch.org.au or through Facebook and Instagram. Thanks for listening.